0: Welcome to Cabin Minute Cast. The scenario has been chosen. The ritual. Wow. I mean, I think the ritual is beginning right here, right <laughs> now. We are ready to appease the old gods one minute at a time. I am Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com.
1: Hello, and I'm Molly Balin of LittleRedMark.com. And we have a guest today! And, <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs>
0: Ryan is still with us. Ryan Haupt of Science Sort of, the podcast, uh, among other things. Welcome back, Ryan. I'm back.
2: I'm here. I'm ready.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yay! So in today's episode, we're covering Minute 32 of The Cabin in the Woods. And in this minute, we learn a bit about the world of Anna Patience Buckner, because we're getting a test drive of that diary in this fine minute. Yeah, it's not great. No, (laughs) it's not great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it seems like uh, it seems like CPS should have been called if there was a CPS back in 1903. So the end of last minute, Jules asks, what is that? Because Dana's like, hey, hey, guys, 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 listen to this. So continuing on with that, Dana's answer is why it's The Diary of Anna Patience Buckner, 1903. We see a slow growing interest of the other folks dropping the item that they were looking at and coming forth to hear all about this fantastic diary that Dana has picked up. So do you guys have anything that uh, popped out at you? Yeah,
2: I'm never going to be able to forget Husband's Bulge.
0: That's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> oh, the Husbulge. <laughs> Hashtag Husbulge. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I didn't love that. Um, you know, again, uh, we mentioned it last time, but the writing is very creepy. Uh, they mentioned, you know, stuffing coals into people's bellies. And there's talk of a black room, which I felt was very Twin Peaks-y.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: and so I wanted to look into you know I'm not I I, I enjoy horror movies but I'm not a scholar of them by any stretch so I wanted to try to uh, dig a little deeper and see if I could figure out you know where the zombie redneck torture family comes from in terms of its influences and its references and drumroll this is based off a real family (gasps) (laughs) oh yeah
1: oh (laughs) That's a bummer. So one,
2: of, uh, <laughs> one of my wife and I's favorite podcasts is called My Favorite Murder, and oh, yeah. it is a hilarious show where these two women talk about true crime, uh, mostly murders, and so since listening to this show, uh, my wife's interest in true crime has only increased, and so last time we were in uh, San Francisco, near neck of the woods, uh, we went to my favorite comic shop out there, which is Isotope. And the one of the books that was recommended to us by James, the proprietor of Isotope, for my wife because she's a Crew Trime fan, is a Treasury of Victorian Murder Compendium Two by Rick Geary, who's a really fantastic cartoonist. If mm,
0: uh, I, I, when you're saying it, I'm seeing it. You'd you know recognize I mean,
2: his style if you saw it. He's yeah, a very, very iconic yeah. artist. And in his book, he writes about the Bloody Benders which is the infamous homicidal family of Labette County, Texas. Kansas, oh. sorry. Labette County, Kansas. And they were uh, homesteaders. And so that you meant they moved out west and, and kicked some Native Americans off their land so they could set up a house. And they turned their house into an inn slash grocer. And the tale is recounted in this book. And um, I've said that was one of the best kind of narrative ways to tell this story that she's seen. That includes a lot of real information. And essentially they had a young hot daughter who would perform seances and the person getting the seance performed for them would be sitting, facing the daughter with a sheet to their back and paw bender are you gonna you're gonna correct me? She's like shaking her head at me. I'm not getting the details exactly right. Um, that's okay. Clawbender <laughs> would be standing behind the sheet and then whack them in the head with a hammer, drop them through a trap door in the floor where they would get their throat slit and then the body would be dismembered and disposed of.
1: Whoa, that's an efficient way of doing
0: that. Wow, yeah, Demon Barber of Fleet Street so, is what I'm thinking. So they were oh a, my a God,
2: family. Of, they were a group family of serial killers that killed at least eleven people that we <gasps> know of from 1869 mm. to 1872. And the part that I thought was especially insane is these people lived uh, a town over from the little house on the prairie family, the Ingalls. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so you've got like the cutest, most wholesome, you know, life on the prairie happening right next to the serial killer murder family. Uh, and Pa Ingalls was probably part of the vigilante group that may or may not have killed them, the, the oh, family of murders. wow. So Laura Ingalls used to talk about the time her pa went off to deal with some trouble in the next town over and came back pretty shook and didn't ever want to talk about it, and the family did disappear and was never seen again, so some people thought that they escaped the law and and died elsewhere in the country or the world, but other people think that one of these vigilante committees found them, and so it's possible that you know Michael Landon, everyone's favorite Prairie Paul, was out there <laughs> killing entire families of folks to get the murder rampage to stop. So wow, get out of that here! That must have been my a, wife is a still very correcting me while word.
0: I'm going. Oh my gosh, that's like how when I'm on the phone and my husband is like trying to correct me <laughs> while I'm having a
2: conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: I thought that was crazy yes Yes. (laughs) it is insane oh my god
2: yeah so the 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 family is called the bloody benders and they're recounted in this book a treasury of victorian murder compendium 2 i can send you guys the link if you want to put it in the show notes yes
1: yes please
2: yeah so instead of being inspired by like a horror movie monster uh, obviously, the design, you know, some of the design elements uh, in them being zombies comes from zombie lore and like Texas Chainsaw Massacre stuff. But the actual idea of a hyper-religious family that kills people uh, all the time is based
0: on a real thing. Nice. wow! Good work. Good work. Yep. Yes. That is fantastic. Yeah. I, I love couldn't, it. I, I couldn't believe it. To check that and out. And I'd, I'd heard, I'd heard like some sort of story
2: about the little house in the prairie living near a murderer, but I had no idea it was this insane.
0: Yeah. And to me, it just is like a nice uh, mirror of that too. You know, like you can see when earlier, uh, just a few minutes ago, we saw an, a picture of Patience Buckner, uh, uh, almost like a school picture, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a little portrait of her face and her cute little braided hair and everything. So, I mean, you could see her being in a class, with Laura Ingalls Wilder. And um, like you can see how that could be like a little mirror image of um, somebody sweet and then somebody who's been, all um, well, her belief system is maybe just gone a little bit different. Somebody gave her some idea. I'm assuming the parents, but she's got some sort of um, upbringing that's gone <laughs> A little haywire a little husband's bulgy
2: well it's the whole family i mean the whole you know the whole family are in on it Uh...
0: yeah 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 so i mean okay so she's reading the diary she saying mama screamed most of the night we don't really know what that's referring to exactly i mean there's things that she's saying here that we're not going to really be able to put together i prayed that she might find the faith so maybe she's being tortured i don't know did anybody either one of you try to kind of figure out what it is that or speculate what it is that she's actually describing if i had going to guess
2: on? i would say it's an exorcism you know the number no. of times people die during exorcisms or are tortured to death um is shockingly high even in the modern day. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: So there's a website called what's the harm. And it basically, anytime there's like a pseudoscience-y or uh, otherwise, you know, like homeopathy would be a good example. So people say like, what's the harm? we mm-hmm. are just taking sugar pills. And so it, it, this website, whatstheharm.net catalogs all the people who are actually killed because they like took, homeopathic pill that was mislabeled or didn't seek regular treatment and so there is a what's the harm for exorcisms and you know just (laughs) scrolling through them like you're it's you know 2005 2008 1996 Hmm. you know 2003 and it's like and a lot of it's kids because you know kids if, if a kid misbehaves or is a problem and and you have like a super religious or even a cult level uh, religious belief, then an exorcism can easily lead to that person's death. Mm. Yeah. So I'm guessing this is some sort of exorcism thing. Mom mom did something that dad found, thought was demon influenced, and so they, they exorcised her until she died.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I interpreted that because this seems to be some sort of a pain cult. And while I think most of this is talking about the Wait, what's a pain cult? What's a pain cult? Yeah. I, I think because they're talking about pain being religious or having a spiritual aspect for them, causing pain has been elevated to yeah, oh, religious. Oh so you're saying like a, like a
2: self self flagellation sort of thing.
1: Or causing pain being the ability to cause pain being spiritual. Or experiencing pain, being spiritual,
2: right? Yeah, like so, self-adjuration where people whip themselves, like mm-hmm. so, you're hitting yourself with a whip in order
1: to exercise religious discipline. Sure, sure. To bring up Buddhism as an example, um, part of Buddhist cosmology mythology is that there were, you know, why it's the middle path is that there was one side where. You know, Siddhartha is a prince, and so it's a very luxurious path. And then the other path was of uh, a pain path. So meaning that self-deprivation to the point of near-death starvation... And, and causing self-harm was, was the other part of the path. So there was different belief systems. So that's why that's maybe part of their belief system is uh, achieving some type of spiritual connectivity happens through pain. Maybe some of this is about even self-inflicted pain. So the way I interpreted this particular line was that she was under duress, under some type of pain. And, if, and the interpretation I had was when it stopped was when he stuffed the coals in, as in, i.e., she's, she's dead now.
2: Yeah, make sure. I mean, also, you know, stuffing coals in the belly uh, almost what made me wonder if there was some sort of aspect of like pregnancy or childbirth.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. <laughs> too. Yeah, I had that sense too that maybe that mm-hmm. was part of that.
2: Bun in the oven sort of thing. Mm hmm. Yeah, I know,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <just> messed up. We're <laughs> <laughs> not supposed to like it. Right, right.
0: Yeah. But yeah, there's an implication that she because she says, I want to understand the glory of the pain like Matthew. And then later on, she's saying that her arm, I think it's in the next minute, but that her arm is hacked off. And yeah, is it later on in this? Sorry. Do you think it's also maybe maybe um, these
2: uh, rituals, ritualistic killings that they were performing on themselves and each other? is that part of the voodoo that went in? I shouldn't say voodoo because that's a different religious religion entirely, but the magic that went into making them zombies.
0: That is a really great question. Yeah, because I feel like, so yeah, if we jump to the end of the minute here, at least where she's saying, I, I have found, so she, Dana is speaking as Anna Patience Buckner saying, I have found it in the oldest books, the way of saving our family. I've thought that that meant she's the one that figured out how and that it had to do with that. Yeah, yeah. I definitely speaking think of that's Latin.
2: relevant uh, for us to talk about next minute. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. So she says that, a, so that a believer will come and speak this to our spirits. Then we will be restored and the great pain will return. So... Yeah. So we know, we know that they're going to return and that they will be inflicting great pain.
2: And talking about like the great pain returning and wanting to save the family and, um, you know, this clear worship of uh, a god that's into some pretty horrible stuff (laughs) also makes me wonder if they knew about the ancient ones.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's what I was kind of wondering, too, is like... Is that what the parents were teaching? Something that's connected to the ancient ones and that that has to do with sacrifice? Like, if because, like you mentioned, the cutting of the belly and stuffing the coals in obviously killed the mother. And then, if Matthew, Judah told me in my dream that Matthew took him into the black room. So, Judah has been killed by Matthew. So, is that, yeah, is that? they're doing a sacrifice to the ancient ones, possibly.
2: But the other thing, you know, we've, we've kind of taken the idea of the Buckner family at face value, whereas we also know that all this stuff is made up by the facility. And so did the facility create this based on a real story or did they, you know, just build it out of whole cloth?
0: Mm. Yeah, I think later on in um, when they're back at the facility... I believe somebody says something about this is what night. I'm I'm gonna be paraphrasing, but something like this is what nightmares are from. Then she says, "No, nightmares are from this." Is that what it is? Do you do you know what I'm talking about, Molly?
1: Yeah, I remember that that line. Um, it was Truman and Lynn, and yeah, they were talking about. He's like, "This looks like something from a nightmare," and she says, "No, nightmares are from this." So, as in these are these are the real thing,
0: yeah, so I don't know if that really cleans up that question at all. I just thought, yeah what what came first, the zombie <laughs> or the, <laughs> or, the egg. or the making of the, or the yeah or the makers of the zombie, I'm not sure, yeah, well because as
2: we as we learn later, the facility may house them and unleash them, but they also don't necessarily control them, <laughs> yeah. the monsters are more than willing to go after the members of the facility too for sure so it does kind of make you wonder what role they're I mean you know the role that they're actually playing in this whole sacrifice scheme isn't super super clear other than they are some sort of facilitator right? Um, even um, West Wing Bradley Whitford even Bradley Whitford's character hasn't seen all the different iterations of the monster Mm mm-hmm and it seems to be relatively high up in the org. So, mm-hmm. I don't know.
1: Well, I was kind of wondering, you know, as we were talking about this, and, you know, obviously there's a, a resurrection that's going to occur here. Um, and you had mentioned, it was it the Bender family that was the, that these guys are- The
2: Bloody Benders. The Bloody
1: Benders. Um, that Patience is young when she's, when she, you know- meets her end. none of these zombies appear to be like ancient like they were old they were like 85 years old and bit it so i have to wonder if maybe this is there they were onto them like the maybe the Ingalls were onto them <laughs> at some point and did just take the whole lot out and so maybe when that particular passage at the end of this was written they were looking at an imminent demise and so how can we be saved because we know we're going down yeah i can see that yeah, I could definitely see
0: that. I like the way you're connecting all the dots. <laughs> and I really like connecting all this
1: with the house on the prairie, too. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they just should have sent Nellie in. Like Nellie
0: can <laughs> like, train
1: and become like a ninja and she just takes the whole lot out. Nice. So, yeah.
0: Uh, is there anything else anybody had about this particular minute? No,
2: my main thing was the historical context yeah
0: (laughs) that was was a fantastic contribution yeah
1: really great molly how about you well i think it bears a, a little bit at least a comment to make that marty is resistant to the discussion and the reading so we obviously know he's he's going to put you know his foot down next minute but i find it interesting here that as Dana is reading it, he's like, oh, you know, Jesus, can we not? (laughs) Can we we not go there? And Kurt's like, no, no, I want to know. I want to hear this. And we've talked a little bit about, in previous minutes, about voyeurism. And, you know, obviously there's a two-way mirror situation that we have. We've got people in the control room who are observing these guys. Uh, A diary is, and, and granted, this is an intellectual landmine that's left out These guys, and so even though, on one level, we understand that this is left out for them as an instrument of doom, but on the other hand, a diary and a young girl's diary is typically like, Oh, I'm gonna write down my most intimate thoughts here, and it's a private thing, and so. You had mentioned true crime, and I think that this is a really great example of the fascination of true crime and that it's, like, horrible and it's scary, but you really want to know because it's super fascinating. And I think that that's the appeal to this diary as well. Yep. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I totally <laughs> agree.
1: <laughs> no, sorry. No, I, to... I mean the vo- I, I hadn't thought at all about the
2: voyeurism aspect of this movie before, but that you connected the dots very well and that's a really well made point. And then it also, you know, I think whenever you talk about reading a young girl's diary, every you know, your mind immediately jumps to Anne Frank. Mm-hmm. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that her journal is edited, I think, by her father. Yeah. I mean, whoever survived to get it published. Yep. Like, he went through and edited out some of the teenage, you know, dumb drama that every teenager goes through because he knew it wouldn't, he knew it would detract from the bigger arc of the message that uh, Anne herself and then later, you know, the, her father and publishers wanted to make about their situation.
1: Mm. That's interesting. Yeah,
2: because, you know, she was like essentially going through puberty while stuck in this attic. And so she's writing about that kind of stuff. And that's awkward and so you know right. her dad had the forethought to actually kind of scrub out some of that to make sure make sure her her actual legacy was preserved which is sweet and as well as being kind of a little weird but...
1: it is yeah both of that wow that you know i i knew that he he was the one who survived i knew that he was the one who you know pushed for publishing and but i never realized and and just as you're saying that just that sense of like oh my god your dad's gonna have to go through and take out all your puberty stuff before that's like published in the middle of this like horrendous situation is just yeah it's a whole another layer of yick, (laughs) whole thing yik and sad
2: (laughs) well fortunately no one keeps journals anymore (laughs) problem solved
0: (laughs) yeah that was a big adjustment i made when i um started dating my husband who was kind of a early adopter computer nerd kind of dude was when i when we first started dating he he sent me a link to his live journal, and and I wasn't on the live journal tip, and so I started meeting some of his friends, and they were all sending me links to their live journal. And I was like, it was kind of weird because everybody was just, you know, I mean, this is pre Facebook and pre, you know, MySpace and all that stuff, and and I just wasn't used to seeing this much. Intimacy, and actually, a few folks in that in that group of friends, I, I met, you know, sent them a, a email and said, "I'm I'm no longer following your live journal. No offense, but I just want to get to know you in person. And this is like too intimate. I, I you know, this is too much. It's a, it's a bit bit too much, and it was a little overwhelming to be reading like somebody's deepest thoughts. And uh, it I was definitely had a live journal in high school yeah so so I, I that's the journal I kind of think of. And now I think of podcasting as sort of a personal journal in a way like I usually think of um, episodes recording episodes as kind of you know just marking time and what I was into and I usually connect personal stories to you know podcast episodes and and the subject at hand and so that's kind of. I don't know, sort of the way I journal now, I guess.
2: You know who still has a live journal? Hmm. George R.R. R. Martin. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Like, updated all the time. Like, he's written in it this week. Wow.
0: Well,
2: I guess last late last week. But still, like, he writes in it, you know, regularly. And that's like, he, you know, doesn't have a blog. He doesn't really even have a true website. His main source of putting his stuff online because, you know, the, the, the computer he writes the novels on isn't even connected to the internet. So he has to go to a different computer Gotcha. <laughs> to post to his live journal because he's writing the entire Song of Ice and Fire on an MS-DOS machine.
1: Wow. You know, I yeah. love that. I love that. I love that he is not, you know, pushed to do what everybody else is doing with social media and even the technology to write He's Like, fuck you. I'm still on live journal. I'm not gonna.
2: He, he finally got on Twitter and he just tweets photos of his like turtles. And,
0: like, and
1: like, yeah, this is pretty much all I want from you. We're good. Alex. Thank you. I love it. It's like, I don't need you. I don't need, your, I don't need your consent for the technology.
2: Sweet. Make me get a Twitter. I'm gonna post a picture of my turtle. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Yeah, October second. Spending a quiet moment in the garden
1: with Miss Morla, and it's
2: just a photo <laughs> of a turtle out in his yard. Does the turtle have
1: like a hat that he wears too? That he's like made for <laughs> turtle and suspenders. Little, <laughs> <yeah>. It's awesome.
0: <laughs> uh, oh my gosh! Sorry.
2: Major major tangent. Nothing to do with Cabin in the Woods, but
0: quite entertaining and quite fine. So, yeah, um, any parting thoughts for minute 32? I, I was just going to say, yes, I, I love Marty here. He seems to be the only voice of reason. I guess my thoughts, <laughs> I said any thoughts, and I'm going to share mine, was <laughs> that everyone else seems to be a, in a trance, sort of.
2: Well, and, and Marty is the fool, and the fool's role is to speak truth to power. Yes, right? Yes, that's they're the only one that was the according to legend they're the only one that was allowed to tell the king the truth right, right? because they were able to tell it in mean, a way that was a joke.
0: Yeah, we we did talk about that a little bit, but I mentioned it about the same length of time you did, just that that, that fact, but also just um, I guess we'll find out later that the his um, weed that he's smoking is is counteracting the effects of the drugs that have been, you know, pumped into them. And then who knows what, what something obviously down here is sort of charming them. It seems like. Mm -hmm. And Kurt, you know, is interested and comes over, but Marty is like, what the, what the hell guys? (laughs) Like he doesn't, he doesn't seem, um, he doesn't seem interested in, in this kind of voyeuristic and well, it seems like he's getting a sense of danger here when they aren't, I guess, is what I'm trying to say.
1: hmm right.
0: But that's about all I had. Um, any, any other parting thoughts before we wrap up episode 32?
2: Don't go to seances in Kansas. Oh. Don't go to
0: seances you, in Kansas. Okay. They want you to sit in front
2: of a sheet to view the seance if the sheet has stains from people getting hit in the head with a hammer on it. Politely decline and run out of the house, which is exactly how one of the guys uh, actually did escape that family because <laughs> they were still they didn't clean the sheet well enough, and he noticed blood stains and thought that was weird and left.
0: Oh wow! And that reminds me of there's some tele- te- some television movie, some TV movie with Michael Landon about Michael Landon that has to do with sheets. Um, I'm going to look it up right now. (laughs) What? A Michael Landon movie about sheets? (laughs) Michael Landon.
2: uh, I really hope it doesn't involve one letter repeated three
0: times. (laughs) The Loneliest Runner. The Loneliest Runner, autobiographical made-for-television film written and directed by Bonanza star Michael Landon. It first aired in 1976, and it's the story of a 13-year-old, John Curtis. This is um about uh, who still wet his bed. The problem is that she publicized it by hanging his stained sheets, his bed sheets, out the window for everybody to see. Mm. So <laughs> that's how I quickly connected... Um, <laughs> all of that together of my brain
1: <laughs> P. shaming and Michael Landon <laughs>
2: yes <Yikes>. and, and <laughs> that's, how you, that's how you make a serial killer yeah right? totally totally, totally. Step one.
0: yep yeah so yeah it actually starred Lance Kerwin Brian Keith and Michael Landon's daughter on Little House on the Prairie Melissa Sue Anderson and Yeah. Michael Landon was the real life version of The Loneliest Runner. So it was about him, if I didn't make that clear. So he he wrote it and he directed it, and it's about him. So
1: he's the bedwetter? Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. Wow, I did not make that connection.
0: (laughs) And then he plays himself later on. So, like, Lance Kerwin plays him as a kid, and then later on he plays himself as a young adult. So, yeah.
1: That's crazy therapy right there. Yeah. Wow.
0: Prior to acting, Landon also had Olympic ambitions as a javelin thrower. Okay. So, yeah. So... Anyways (laughs) (laughs) He would just picture his mom Out there and just try to nail
2: her With that javelin (laughs)
0: So uh, let's see. Let's wrap up minute 32 <laughs> on this note. And uh, for those who may have forgotten since last episode, Ryan, how can uh, people find you out in the world and connect with what you're up to?
2: Well, in addition to following George R. R. Martin on Twitter for his pictures of turtles, you can also follow me on Twitter. Uh, I don't I don't tweet photos of turtles as often as he does, but I do tweet a lot about animals and i tweet about um science and then uh it's become increasingly difficult not to get at least a little political <laughs> where where political is defined as being a human being with a decency yes. and then you know i i always tweet whenever i'm on podcasts like this one or my own show or the other shows that i'm a regular guest on like the iFanboy guys and um yeah Twitter is at Haupt, H A U P T. And then there's also at Science Sort of on Twitter, one word. Awesome.
0: Cool. And uh, as per usual, you can find us at cabinminutecast.com. And we're out there tweeting away as well. And we love to share what people are up to and in the world. Um, so you can find us there at Twitter at Cabin Minute Cast. And uh, also on Instagram at Cabin Minute Cast. And of course, in Facebook at Gabin in the Woods,
1: our Facebook group. Sweet. So thank you all for tuning in again to episode 32. And we will see you back at the cabin.